Hi, I'm Katie, and this is Monumental, a small show about the big things God does in the lives of ordinary people. Last month, my friend Amy Moyer shared her story of how she came to learn that being a Christian is about more than sharing the gospel or big acts of faith, but about putting to death wanting things her way and living each day by faith. Well, today, Amy's going to join me as co-host. Hi, Amy. Hi, Katie. I'm so happy to be here. Well, it's cool you're joining me for this particular interview because you've had a part in the testimony we're going to hear today. Yeah, our friend Marcy Naylor is going to tell us her story about the sin of idolizing her children, which is a struggle that any of us moms can identify with. Mm -hmm. So I think this will be really helpful for anyone who is a mom or hopes to be a mom someday to hear. But her story starts further back before she became a mom, and it gets to the root of her sin, which again is something many of us can relate to. Right. So whether you're a mom or not, you're going to be helped by Marcy's story. So let's dive in. We moved around a lot. Your dad was in the military. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And my sister, I had an older sister and two younger brothers. And they, um, and every time we moved, it kind of brought our family back together. Moves did that for us. It was sort of the glue. We all hunkered down mm-hmm. together at our new place. We were each other's support. Yeah. And then we sort of spread as we, yeah. as we lived there for a while. with the area. Yeah. yeah. So um, my sister and I were very close. And then we moved when I was about six. And she ended up going off with friends. And I just felt very, I don't know, rejected Mm. really by her Uh, we had been so close and I didn't understand why she wanted to go be with her friends Mm -hmm. it was really very normal Mm -hmm. but at the time it didn't feel normal yeah what was your age Mm -hmm. gap two years Mm -hmm. but it was a very empty lonely feeling yeah for many years really I think I was just very shy and didn't um, know how to make friends there was just there was a real void did you ever have conversations with your sister about the distance or her making um, other friends? Or did she realize how hard that was for you? Not at the time. Yeah. I mean, at the time, honestly, I didn't talk much at all. <laughs> okay. I was, uh, I don't know if my brain just hadn't come together yet. But really, I had a lot of strong feelings. And yeah. so when I think of my childhood, I think a lot of times in terms of feelings, but not words. I talked with her. After I became a Christian, we were both in college, and we had a lot of fun trips back. Our parents were overseas at the time, and we would travel together, and that was, you know, a very fun um, memory that the two of us had together, and I was telling her about how I had become a Christian, and actually, I just didn't want her to feel bad, mm-hmm. but she was such a big part of what God had done in my life that I wanted her to know, mm-hmm. so I was um, just thanking her. You know, when you left me, it hurt. Yeah. And that was good to talk about. But God meant it for good. Yeah. You know, it it was very good. And it was very good even for that void to last for so long. You know, I think now we we constantly want to fill Mm -hmm. those voids in our children. We don't want to see them hurting or lonely. Oh, we'll help you get a friend. (laughs) We'll invite so-and-so over. No, sometimes it's good to let them feel Mm. that loneliness and lead them to God. Yeah. How long of a period of time do you think it was that you felt that? Um, Well, from age six, really up through 17. I had friends in high school. It's not that I was always by myself, but I felt a definite um, distance from my friends because I didn't, you know, I, I think 
when I felt rejected by my sister, I did not feel lovable. Mm-hmm. And I didn't feel like anyone would love me if mm-hmm. they knew me the way I was. Mm-hmm. That sounds awful, but... Yeah, so it was a lot deeper than just a, like, yeah loneliness, like, oh, I wish my sister would play with me. It was like a, you felt an actual, like, personal rejection from her. Like, yes, she did not want you. She, she wanted She did not her. want me. Therefore, other people probably don't either. That's yeah. definitely the way I took it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So I just decided I needed to create a new me. <laughs> mm. I didn't consciously do that at first, but I do remember um, hmm, fifth or sixth grade, somewhere in there, we were on a class camp trip, camping trip, and we were spending the night in these cabins, and all the girls were in one, and uh, we're all a couple different cabins. So it's late at night, all the lights are off, we're all in our bunk beds, and everybody was just chatting all together in one big you know, conversation. Mm -hmm. And one of them mentioned Carrie Sampson. She didn't happen to be in the cabin that we were in. And everybody said, oh, Carrie Sampson, she's so nice. She's just nice to everybody. And they went on and on. And and consciously, it hit me. Mm. I want to be like Carrie Sampson. Mm. And I kind of resolved, well, everybody likes her. You know, somebody will. (laughs) Yes, it really became sort of a life goal at that Mm. point. To be liked by everybody, mm-hmm. okay, which yeah. seemed reasonable. Yeah. <laughs> it just did. To a 10-year-old, yeah. 11-year-old, whatever I was, yeah. um, it was my goal. And and as a Christian, I mean, it, growing up in a Christian family, I was told to be kind to other people. That's what I was hearing in sermons. So it made sense. Right. It seemed right and good. Um, and we should be kind to people. We shouldn't be talking behind their backs or, right. you know, right. that sort. So it seemed to answer... The questions that had been created in you. It did. It solved the problem. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it created a lot of um, yeah. lying. Yeah. I'd say probably yeah. that was the yeah. biggest thing. And and trying to keep track of all the lies, who I lied to and mm-hmm. what did I say. Mm-hmm. By the time I was 17, I was just done. Mm-hmm. I was a mess. I really. Isn't that just the way our uh, sin works though? Like mm-hmm. we get, hear this good thing, be kind to others. This uh-huh. seems a Christian. You know, like, <laughs> and. Isn't it just yeah. our sin to just twist that into, mm-hmm. yeah, the motive behind it is, isn't actually for the Lord, and so it's for ourself, and so all this other sin comes out of it. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we were already time, very selfish. Yeah. 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 So you said by the time you were 17, <clears throat> you were kind of a mess. I was a mess. I was, I was ready to stop lying, and I didn't know how. Mm-hmm. And So you um, actually felt convicted about the, the lying I did, but to come clean, no way. (laughs) (laughs) I could not come clean to my parents or, and I wasn't, um, I don't mean to imply that I was doing anything horrible. I was, you know, just the, not the goody two shoes, but I was working hard at school. I was running a lot. Running was really my biggest way to get attention. I thought, oh, if I win a lot of races, make a name for myself. Um, as it turned out, I was a horrible runner, so <laughs> so I spent all of my high school years um, trying to win and not winning. And really, I was lying about my practice times and mm-hmm. everything, you know, just because it was, I wanted it so badly, I thought I could just imagine it into reality. <laughs> so my parents came to me um, after my junior year of high school and said, you know, your dad is being offered... Um, a good job. It would probably mean a promotion, but 
this is your last year of high school, and we understand if, if it's really important for you to be graduating here at this high school. Well, what they didn't know is that it was a big high school. The um, competition was big, and I was done. I jumped at it. We would be mm-hmm. moving to a you know small high school, and they were kind of surprised because I think they thought I was happy. <laughs> but I was, and I thought this could be my clean slate. Mm-hmm. And actually, funny enough, um, I ran my last year of high school and accomplished pretty much everything that I won. I won races. I, I, you know, the goals that I set, I accomplished. And I think God let me accomplish those things just so I could see the total emptiness of it all. Mm -hmm. I finished that Mm -hmm. year of running and thought, is that it? (laughs) That did not satisfy. Uh, That was a good thing. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And that's right when God decided it was time. So you became a Christian senior year of high school. Mm-hmm. How did becoming a Christian have a change on the lying and the pursuit of being liked? Or how did things go from that yes. point? When I became a Christian, I think of Psalm 139, you know, that God created me. That spoke volumes to me. I thought, he, I can't lie to him. He knows me completely. Mm-hmm. And not only that, that he made me the way I was, and he liked it. Mm-hmm. That was just mind-boggling to me yeah. that, um, that he would actually want me to be this way. That was all I needed. And yeah. the lying was, it was pretty quickly over with. And it helped that I was moving. You know, okay. I was leaving high school. We were overseas, so my parents said, pick a school that's near family because I can't come home for every vacation. Um, so I picked oh, for college for college. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I picked IU and um, I have an aunt and uncle that live here in town. So I could go there on short holidays, but yes, that it def- definitely changed the lying. What it didn't change though, was the desire for approval and admiration from other mm-hmm. people. It's funny how you think you've given up something, and I had, but Satan is so deceptive Mm -hmm. in that he found another way to just, you know, sneakily twist it around and um, encourage me, tempt me to pick up another idol that was so similar. Mm -hmm. So I still wanted the admiration of other people, Mm -hmm. but I wasn't lying anymore. I think (laughs) <laughs> it's more of a, a a godly sort of twist on it, you know. <laughs> that sounds awful, but I mean, it was. I, I wanted to be admired. Well, what is it that they wanted? Well, yeah. You know, yep. and just fill in the blank yep. with what do people want from me and I will provide it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, instead of looking to God and saying, God, what do you want mm-hmm. most of all from me right now? Right. Yeah. Did your friendships feel more genuine when you were showing them more of who you Mm. were and not lying about much. Yeah, that was Mm. wonderful. I was in um, a Navigator Bible study, and those friendships were wonderful. I mean, we could actually talk about our sin and and be real with each other. Yeah, Yeah, that was new. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. that's very sweet. Yeah. This is all heading towards you making an idol of your children. Yes. So in college, you ended up getting married Mm -hmm. to Scott, Mm -hmm. and then 
started having kids? We did meet my second year of college, and we were both going to church together. We wanted um, a marriage based on God. We sought counsel, as much advice as we could. So we got married, and we had a, a couple more years of school, or three, or um, we moved. Was Scott in the Army yet? Not yet. He was applying, actually, for the Air Force. We did oh, okay. Air Force first. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, we had our first daughter there. Um, but we are speaking of idolatry, and really, yeah. um, you know, you have that baby and how could mm. you love? Mm. I really was afraid I wouldn't love my children. I wanted children very badly, but I thought I'm going to be a horrible mom. I'm going to be that one mom who doesn't love her children because, mm. you know, I had been a- around a lot of other children that I didn't like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really hadn't met one that I did like. <laughs> so the assumption was I'm not going to like my child. And, uh, oh. But yes, you take that first look and yeah, it just changes everything. You just fall in love. Yeah. 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 How does God do that? Isn't that amazing? amazing. So amazing. Yeah. So how many kids did you end up having? Uh, We had six girls. And then we um, adopted a little boy. Yeah, our daughters are 26 to 16. And then Carson is about to turn eight. But Satan is deceptive. And he found like a little back door to come in. Mm -hmm. And I think when you have that first child... And you love them so much. You want everything for them. And we wanted God in their lives. Mm -hmm. And we struggled with how to raise them. You know, we wanted to raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And we tried to get good, sound doctrine and and good advice from other parents at at our church. But I I did not want to lose my children. And I think somewhere I crossed the line very quickly. Within those first few years of having my first child, I'm sure. How do I know that my children were an idol? That was kind of a question I started thinking about. Mm. And the answer I came up with was because I would not let my husband lead the Mm. family. And I think the idolatry of children is so, um, so much in opposition to submission to your husband. Mm. He wanted to lead one way. Mm-hmm. And I thought that would jeopardize my relationship with my children, and I wouldn't let it go. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you think what is what is idolatry? Um, we don't we think we don't have idols because we read that they're made out of wood and metal, and for <laughs> you know, right. they take some wood and they burn a fire with it, and the and other they bow wood, down they, to it. Yeah, mm-hmm. that doesn't make any sense to us today. Right. And I thought, well, okay, if it's not that, what is it? And we think. Worship. And I think, well, I worship God. Mm -hmm. And I do. And I did. (laughs) Okay. Well, and Tim talked a lot about if you go to a football game, there's worship. Yeah. I'm like, well, I don't go to football games. I can picture (laughs) that, but really, football does not (laughs) not excite me. (laughs) But I get it. I get what he's saying. Yes, we do worship things other than God. The only word I came up with um, that really hit the mark was um, my desires. And my desire was for my children, and it was not for my husband. Well, we homeschooled our children, and that was one way. Um, it, had a, it had its good points and its bad points. But the negative was definitely that I wanted to be everything for my children. Yeah. And that 
is very easy to do with homeschooling. I knew I wanted other people involved in my children's lives. I, I would have agreed to that. But practically speaking, I didn't allow for that. Mm-hmm. And after um, our fifth or sixth daughter, uh, Scott came home one day from work and, you know, hardly any school had been done that day. Dinner wasn't ready. The, the house mm. is a mess. It was just kind of a, a chaotic day. And we had had a lot of those days. And he turned and said, Marcy, I'm putting my foot down. We're going to register for a school this coming fall because it was, it was almost school time. And, of course, I was just crying and I was a mess. And um, it was only one day a week. It wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't this huge change. But the fact that it bothered me so much should have been a red flag. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he was very loving when he said it because he knew, I think, that That'd I wasn't going to like it. You. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it was a wonderful time. I got to spend, um, you know, one day a week with my new baby and two-year-old. And um, there was no reason for me to not like it. My children were having mm-hmm. fun, but... It meant that you weren't the sole... I was not the sole <laughs> love of my children's life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so a lot of it, I mean, really, it was, it was stemming back to this desire to be liked. Yes. And now you were seeking this in your children. Yes. Yeah. And I think I was a bit jealous if they liked mm-hmm. somebody else. Yeah. There was yeah. a, maybe a fear of of them liking another teacher better than me as their teacher, things like that. And then um, right about that same time, he also made another big decision, and that was we were done with biological children. That was, you know, if if one day of school a week was a blow, this was (laughs) not even close. Mm -hmm. And I should mention um, that all of my pregnancies were very hard pregnancies. Mm-hmm. They, I had preterm labor with all of them. Wow. Some of them, well, the first one had two and a half months of bed rest, like strict oh, bed rest, right. stuff like that. Yeah. So after six babies, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it, was, um, it was very reasonable for him to say, you know, your body is not yeah. good. Like bed rest, is, it's really hard on mm-hmm. your body physically. Mm-hmm. You would think it'd be really nice, <laughs> but you know your muscles atrophy. Oh, yeah. It's it's not good for your body no. to be um, so horizontal. Right. And, and, mm. um, so I knew when he said it that it was a very reasonable, and he had been very generous already. You know, every time we had a baby, we would talk. You know, maybe the preterm labor won't a big deal this next one mm-hmm. you know six children later yeah. <laughs> I it's not that I could really disagree with him but um, I've, I definitely grieved over that oh sure and um, yeah. I mean we had always talked about adoption so it, it wasn't that um, that it he didn't like, want more children right because of you know six children it was probably around our 10th year of marriage or so mm-hmm. but because I had been because my desires had been so focused on my children, it had taken a toll on our marriage. So my mind was on, well, not just school, but, you know, what they, were, what, what they would enjoy during the day. Um, I had so few thoughts for my husband. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's, it's shameful, really, how little I thought of my husband. And here he is 
working all day to provide for our family. And all I'm thinking about is my children and what they need and what they want. And, you know, you rationalize, well, he's an adult. He can come in and get his own stuff or whatever. You know, dinner might be late, but there's a dinner. (laughs) You know, I rationalize those things, but they took their toll. And so this drift had really separated us. Mm -hmm. He felt alienated from me. Mm. And I didn't even realize how much I had really drifted away. We rationalize it and say life is busy. And we have commitments at church Mm -hmm. and we have commitments in the home and we have neighbors that need help. And we get so busy. And honestly, we feel solid in our marriage (laughs) in the middle of it. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have said our marriage was in trouble at all. Um, We're just busy. And this is just the way life is, Mm -hmm. right? You had mentioned earlier on in marriage with new kids, little Mm -hmm. kids, as you guys are trying to figure out discipline and and not really agreeing on it. Mm -hmm. So how did that continue to play itself out as your kids grew up and got older and you had more of them? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, now you're at a point in their life where you're starting to recognize your marriage isn't great and you've really made your kids the center of your universe. (laughs) Right. So how did discipline play into that um, aspect of your marriage? Basically, I never wanted to say no to my children. That was a fear that I would lose them or a fear that they would turn from God. Mm. So I definitely set the bar very low for them. You know, just be a Christian. And Mm. (laughs) I never confronted them with their sin. The only sin I really confronted, it seems, was um, in their relating to each other. There was, you know, anger was never allowed um, towards each other or, um, you know, there, there were a few things that I was pretty adamant about. But when it came to sin of pride or confronting them on um, their priorities, you know, you say you're a Christian, but you don't want to go to youth group or you don't want to read your Bible, mm-hmm. those things should have been confronted a long time ago and weren't. Mm-hmm. So we would argue. <laughs> mm-hmm. Scott would want to, and he just would. He would just say, you know, no, you're not going to do this. Or, And I would be angry at him and resentful. I think it really came to an all-time low uh, when we were in Kentucky. So by now, at least... Three or four of them are teenagers. And our arguments were just, they just seemed so hopeless. Mm -hmm. We didn't make progress. It bothered us that our our children were hearing us argue. Mm. You didn't get to places of resolve in those arguments. No, there there was very little resolving, Mm -hmm. and we felt very stuck. Were these arguments you and Scott were having together or as a couple with a daughter or both, you know, sometimes it would be, um, with a daughter. Sometimes it was just arguing between the two of us on what we should do about a situation with a daughter, um, kind of combination of all of the, um, one night I, I just sat on my bed and cried. I just felt so hopeless. Mm -hmm. And I remember the thought coming, Oh, if I could just do this by myself, it would be so much easier. And I, I, I think I literally jumped at the, the thought mm-hmm. that, that it actually crossed my mind because we had always said 
you know, we'll never talk divorce. Yeah. We won't ever even think about divorce, and we never had. And we, I mean, we kind of joked around, um, we're just going to be miserable with each other for the rest of our life. <laughs> I mean, if that's what it comes down to, that's what we'll just do. And there was a funny song that we, we used to always quote, you know, things will be different from now on. <laughs> we just laugh. <laughs> but, uh, there was a, a funny light side to it, but um, there was also a very heaviness yeah. and, and hopelessness. And I think that night when, when that thought crossed my mind, it, it scared me mm-hmm. that I would even think that. And um, God, in his kindness, reminded me of this Sunday. We had been um, visiting here in Bloomington. We were at a different church visiting, and sitting a couple rows in front of us was this woman with her four daughters. I knew that she had been recently divorced, and she had four kind of— 16 to eight year old mm-hmm. daughters and two of them are lying on the floor <laughs> one of them is like sitting next to her constantly trying to get her attention like the whole scene was so ridiculous and so sad mm-hmm. and that's what i immediately thought of was that woman got what she wanted and mm-hmm. probably is regretting <laughs> mm. or, or, or feeling worse than she had been when she was married. And um, I'm glad I can't remember who she is, really. Um, but that scene is what I thought of. Mm. And, and God said, that is not what you want. And mm. honestly, that was the end. I, I, I don't remember ever entertaining a thought like that again. Mm-hmm. I didn't struggle over it at all. I just remember thinking, wow, I must feel really hopeless right now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, God help me. Mm-hmm. Please send us something. And um, yeah. and he did. He sent us to Bloomington. Mm-hmm. And that was um, a lifesaver in so many ways. Um, what I thought was we were coming to Bloomington to take care of Scott's parents. And they were getting older and they didn't have any children living near them. Were you happy to move here from the beginning? I was happy, yes. I really did feel like it was the right decision. But actually, I think he really was looking forward to coming. Of course, it was Clearnote at the time. He was looking forward to coming to Clearnote more than he was looking forward to coming to help his parents. Mm -hmm. As much as, and I'm not saying that he wasn't looking forward to helping his parents, that we had decided that, you know, for 20 years, we had known we would end up in Bloomington Mm -hmm. to be with his parents. He was the Mm -hmm. oldest son, and there was no other siblings here. felt that responsibility. Yeah, Yeah. very strongly, and I um, fully supported it. And and we loved Bloomington. I mean, that's where we had met, and Mm. it was all wonderful. (laughs) Yeah, so I was very happy to come back. Um, And for him, was he, was one of the reasons he was so eager to come here and be a part of the the churches. He was dying. We need help. Yes, yeah, he okay. saw it more than I did. Mm. And I, w- I do have to say, Scott was listening to the sermons. Um, okay. He's a very methodical person. <laughs> and so he had gone back to, I'm not sure what year, and methodically went through every sermon that Tim gave. Wow. He had listened to years of Tim. Huh. Wow. So can you imagine wow. how that must have felt to be listening to these sermons huh. and then to have to live with me? <laughs> I can't even imagine. I can't imagine. And he would try to explain what he's learning. But honestly, he was just, you know, trying to process everything Tim is saying. And he saw that was truth. Mm -hmm. And what we're living is a mess. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. So um, that's, I guess that's why I say he was very excited to come here because he knew help was here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
and wow. I just didn't. You hadn't been hearing those sermons, Mm-mm. so you weren't quite in the same place. So what was it like for you when you moved here and started oh, yeah. coming to church here? It was total shock. Yeah. Um, but I knew that I had found the place for the answers. I, I knew I would get there. But every sermon, I just wanted him to go on and on. I mm. didn't, you know. You were just hungry I was just for hungry. help in your yes. marriage and even parenting. I mean, at this point, had you recognized in yourself that your children were an idol to you? That's a good question. No. Okay. So at this point more, it was like, okay, I know that our marriage is not good right now. And this is the place where we might get, where we're going to get help. Hopefully. I was really trying to avoid the parenting issues. Okay. Yeah. And I don't so think I knew th- why. Okay. Yeah. Because when Phil and Amy started uh, working with the youth group, one of the first issues you dealt with was modesty with the girls. Comes up every year. <laughs> and it did. It came up every year. Really the first year I thought, okay, we'll make a few changes and we'll be good. And I was definitely just trying to ride the fence. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted trying to, to make everybody happy. Yeah. I, I <laughs> definitely did not want to say no to my children, mm-hmm. especially on what they were wearing. I wanted to avoid, but you know, here, Amy was like second year, we're going to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, goodness, I thought we already did this. <laughs> I have to. <laughs> All those shorts and crop tops, they go away for the yeah. winter yeah. and they come back yeah. when it gets warm again. <laughs> yeah. And so I struggled through that year. So I, I, I really didn't, I don't think I felt convicted of sin mm-hmm. at that point. I was just really working to avoid and make people happy. Yeah. So did you feel like you had things under control in the parenting situation? No. Okay. No, I knew I I didn't like where I was. But, you know, really fear just drove everything. Every decision. I was weighing the risk. Mm -hmm. I wasn't saying, what does God want? And you kind of resign yourself maybe to the, the idea that Parenting is hard, and you have to kind of pick your battles, and this is just the way it is, and right. there's not so much you can do about it. I didn't really expect it to get any better, <laughs> I think, at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I knew we were in the right place. So Amy wouldn't give you a break? <laughs> no. Amy kept at it. <laughs> I can be stubborn. <laughs> uh, yes. Sometimes so. not stubborn enough, huh? <laughs> So was there something that, but at that point, it wasn't still, you said it wasn't really about seeing, you know, a need for repentance on your part, but just t- trying to, what's that expression you just uh, used? Like ride the fence. fence. Riding yeah. the fence. So was there something that pushed you over the edge and <laughs> <laughs> just bumped me off the fence? <laughs> yeah, I think at, at the time I was thinking I just needed more boldness. I knew I was fearful I think I had gotten that far. Um, I think I even would have said I didn't want to lose my relationship with my children. You think of you think of Jesus saying, you know, if you're ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of you. Those verses hit hard. Mm-hmm. And that you must leave father and mother and son and daughter. Those verses were convicting. Yeah. I think I was counting the cost at that point mm-hmm. and wondering, could I really do that? Mm-hmm. And it was scary to even consider. Yeah. But at the same time, I had had friends 
leave the church over, I'm pretty sure, over um, children. And I knew that would be the most devastating of all things to do. Mm -hmm. I was committed to staying even if it meant hard things ahead because I I thought, I really felt like God would, God would be faithful Mm. if I stay. Mm -hmm. And um, there was, there was truth and there was love. I think I had pretty much decided I needed to trust my pastors and elders and really um, Tim's love was the surest sign to me that um, because he was willing to to speak truth to us that we didn't want to hear, that was real love. And I valued that a lot. And uh, it gave me the confidence to say, I need to work at trusting my pastors and elders. Mm -hmm. Did you recognize, like see that them doing that and recognizing yourself that that was something you hadn't been doing? I think I saw it I saw it partly with interacting with my neighbors. I was struggling about being more bold with a neighbor. Okay. Who was not a Christian and a very adamant atheist. Okay. And I mentioned it at small group. Mm-hmm. And Mike Bowles happened to be there at small group that day. The man in our church. Yes. Mike Bowles. And I told them how I just was having trouble knowing how much to talk about God in our conversations with her. Mm. Yeah. And how to witness to her. And Mike Bowles got this funny look on his face. And he said, you don't even have a friendship. (laughs) There is no friendship without truth. If you can't be honest with her, you're not her friend. And that stuck. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that it happened to be in relation to a neighbor, but it translated to my children very easily. Yeah. And I thought, if I can't speak truth to my children, I really don't love them. Mm. And that was very convicting. Wow. Yeah. Uh, really that was cool. a big turning point. Yeah. When we went to a women's conference, a woman spoke about losing her relationship with her son for quite a while. And I sat through that conference trying to put myself in her position. Mm. Yeah, because that had been your fear that you would. She was living my nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I had been convicted that what I was doing was wrong. I knew that that I think I even knew that they were idols at that point. That I could not let them go. Mm-hmm. And I sat there listening to her, wondering, maybe I could, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And uh, I was driving home with one of my daughters then, and, and I told her, I'm just so tired of always being a mediator and not standing up for Christ. Mm. I, I feel ashamed of my inability to really enter into his suffering, to be rejected for him. Mm. I want to be rejected for him, mm. and I just couldn't muster it up. But my daughter that I was taught, you know, as we were driving home, my daughter said, I feel the same way. (laughs) It was such a sweet conversation that she also felt like she just had not been able to um, stand up for Christ Mm. around her, some of her friends at school. And we both felt committed to change somehow. That's very sweet. It wasn't long after that I was doing something at home, washing dishes, 
something. But I was kind of alone at the time, which is unusual. <laughs> like I said, every once in a while, I'm alone in the house now. <laughs> and, you know, I'm not, I'm not a charismatic person. I didn't grow up in a charismatic church. None of that felt normal to me. But I would have to say that this was a very um, supernatural type experience. Mm. It was definitely otherworldly. Mm. And God just showed me some of his holiness. That's the best way I can describe it. And it was it was a terrifying thing to see. I think I had been convicted of my sin, but I had trifled with him. I really didn't view his holiness as anything anything that I needed to fear. And he said very clearly, don't trifle with me. Put down your idols now. Mm. And I knew exactly what he was saying. I knew what he meant. Mm. This was soon after the women's conference. Mm -hmm. And I don't even remember having to struggle over it. Like, oh, maybe I can. Maybe I can't. It was just done. And I say something felt broken and and I do still struggle. I, I think about what I say to my children, and I might hesitate, but it's nothing mm. the same mm. at all. I think uh, all that time I thought I needed to love God more. If I loved God more, I would be able to be more bold. Mm-hmm. But what I really just needed was a, smallest amount of fear Mm. (laughs) that's all i needed and god provided that and i hungered for more fear because it was so good and it made my life so much easier (laughs) it was a blessing gave you the courage to it did become more obedient (laughs) it did god says the fear of god is the beginning of wisdom Wisdom. and for me, it wasn't just the beginning of wisdom. It was the beginning of contentment. Mm-hmm. I could really rest. <laughs> right. I remember talking to you fairly soon after that experience mm-hmm. and you just having this, just this joy and also remorse and seeing your sin mm-hmm. in the situation. But the obligation that you felt to be obedient now and like steps that you were taking, mm-hmm. you know, to set things right or um, address things that you felt needed to be addressed. and It was definitely God. Mm-hmm. It was, I felt like um, the days are evil. Mm-hmm. You know, every morning I wake up and I have a husband that I can help, mm-hmm. I can encourage. And I do. I wake up and think, what can I do for him today? You know, I don't roll my eyes like, okay, he said, I, want, I need to go do this. <laughs> no. Or even roll your no. eyes and say, I guess I should ask him what I can do for him today. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's such a joy um, to get to have this day that I can mm-hmm. do something for him. And I would usually, if he did ask me to do something, I would usually forget, unfortunately, because I didn't write it down. Mm-hmm. So I finally, um, he had shown me on my phone, I can do keep notes. Yeah. <laughs> and so he said something, Wonderful. I write it down on keep notes. And I want to, I want to remember yeah. those things. It means a lot to him. 
to do those little things for him. Yeah. You know, um, so there is, there is real joy. As you've given your children up as your idols mm-hmm. and given that up, it's also trusting God with their salvation because you were making, in your fear, you were making yourself sort of mm-hmm. the hopeful savior to them. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. You know, one thing I noticed, I even knew it while I while the children were young, um, should have been a red flag, but I never could really talk about hell with mm. the children. And it kind of bothered me. And I thought, why not? Mm. You know, um, Jesus says, don't fear those who kill the body. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And he spoke of eternal life and eternal fire and eternal punishment. Those things are all through Scripture. You can't avoid mm-hmm. it. But I was avoiding it mm-hmm. because I didn't want my children to go to hell. Mm-hmm. And I think what I needed to realize, um, the truth was, what is truth? The truth is our family is an eternal family in heaven, and we are aliens here. Mm. And as much as we love that baby, mm. as much as we love them, they are a shadow of our true family. Mm-hmm. Mm. In that sense, I think every mother struggles with idolatry because that baby is so real Mm -hmm. and our eternal family in heaven I mean we don't know what that's going to be like but that is the real family and this is just supposed to be a taste (laughs) this episode of Monumental was hosted by Katie Walker and Amy Moyer it is produced and edited by Katie Walker, and it is executive produced by Nathan Alberson and Jake Menzel. If you like the show, please don't forget to rate and review in the app of your choice. And if you're interested in more great content, including articles or other podcasts, please visit warhornmedia.com.